Welcome to Word of Truth. This is Doug Presley. It is 11-30-2022, last day in November. And we're ready to begin our worship service. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, thank you so much for this time we have this evening. We thank you for life, health, and strength. And we pray that you will give us wisdom as we open your word and focus our attention on those things there. Uh, Father, you, we just want to come with an open heart of humility and love and you know willingness because those are the kind of worshipers you you seek those who worship in spirit and in truth father you said that the goal for you for us is that we would love you with all our heart soul mind body and strength so we pray for that that devotion that commitment toward you, Father, and your word, and growing up in Christ. <clears throat> so we thank you also for those who have joined, and we, we pray for those who have needs among us. You know what those special needs are. We know the families, the names that are on our hearts. Lord, we lift them up right now for your healing, for your well-being, for your comfort, whether it be financial difficulties or Father, you know the names that are on our hearts. Also, Father, we pray as we open your word that you would challenge us uh, by the things that are there. Give us wisdom as we focus now. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. So, Amen. So, as you know, we are studying in the book of Romans, chapter 11, uh, Today, we are focused on verse 26, uh, which says, And in this way, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will turn godlessness away from Jacob. So just to note, we, you should have notes. Um, we're going to get to that. Uh, just, just by way of uh, announcement, just to let you know that the the website is out there. On the website is everything we have done. Uh, not only, you know, when we had the old website, it was static. I couldn't really upload anything to it. It was just, the way it was done, it was sort of, it was old. But since we've gotten this new website, this is my goal of transparency to just put whatever we're doing. So if somebody wanted to know what we're doing, it's there. No questions about who we are. Everything we do is out there. So uh, the website now is able to be updated. You are able to find uh, everything we have covered in the last, I don't know, 15 years. So there's plenty of material up there, and that's at wordistruth.com. So... We're going right to Romans 11.26, as we just read here in the notes. What is, <clears throat> what is it about the Bible that keeps us coming back for more? One feature here is how God tells us what is going to happen. And it happens. For prophecies that have come to pass have not come to pass. We sit back in our easy chairs and imagine how things will unfold. God gave us the history and the future of Israel, that is, if we're interested. Of course, we are. 
God tells us the future, and he also gives us the how it will happen as well. Israel's destiny has been written. It's in the book already. We are on the battlefield now, and our exploits have not yet been written. Will you take your place in the battle? So uh, with that, we're, we're going to dig in. Now, you know, <clears throat> last week as I um, went through verse 25, I don't recall how it happened, but I did not really address verse 25 the way I wanted to. I almost wanted to just go back over 25 again, but I said, no, nah, we're going to move forward. We spend enough time. But... Uh, some of the things that we um, discuss in verse 26, you may say, but wait a minute, that was in 25. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to give you whatever I didn't talk about in 25. So it was obviously, you know, it happens. But it happened in that last study where we covered it, but we didn't cover it in you know what made me realize that was the question someone made after or asked after the study. And it took us into uh, an area where we were able to talk more. And it just let me know, okay, I really didn't cover it the way I wanted to. So I, I would apologize for that. That is, I felt like, man, I must be getting old or something. But... Any, anyhow, we're going into 26, and whatever we didn't cover in 25, you're going you're gonna to hear about it. So in verse 26, we're going to break it down, as we said, into phrases. And in this way, in this way, and if you haven't already noticed, I just love this phrase, in this way. It is so descriptive about how things are done. And you know where you get this also? In Romans 5.12. There's, there's another verse. I'm going to just read it for you. Uh, if you haven't already looked at this. And maybe you'll come to love this phrase as well. So Romans 5.12. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin. There it is. And in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. So now, you know, obviously that's a basic passage about how we got to the place we, we are. I call it the bad news about ourselves. But notice, and in this way, it tells us. So you could speculate. You could come up with all kinds of speculation, and that goes to point B. Because it's just in our notes. There's no need for speculation here. God has told us how it happened. And we could say, oh, it happens in this way, or it happened in that way. God said, no, it is in this way. So that's important. Whenever we get description uh, of God's will for us, how he did it, it's not just what he did, it's how he did it. That's important. It kind of makes me lean forward. Oh, man, it's such valuable information you're giving us here. I just love it. So what is this and in this way talking about? It comes from, from the previous verse, right, where it talks about Israel has experienced hardening part. We shouldn't be conceited about uh, this understanding. Uh, don't, don't be ignorant about the mystery. Right? And then he says, in this way, 
well, until the full number of Gentiles has, has come in. And then, in this way, what's going to happen is all Israel will be saved. So he's talking about the future of Israel. And how the Israel, first of all, Israel has a future. I know there are some theologies that will say that Israel does not have a future. But according to what we know and what the Bible teaches us, it does have a future. Israel will be back on the scene. We've been talking about how we talk about Israel's failures and we can talk about how horribly they fell. But we also have to balance that with the fact that God uh, is going to see Israel through. They're not failures. They, yes, they have failed, but they are not failures. They're going to be back in play again. And one of the reasons I said it is because God foreknew them. He predestined them, and he did all this stuff as a nation. So God saw Israel. He saw their victory. So there was no question about the fact that Israel would succeed. So here he's telling us how it all is going to happen. Because, you know, we wouldn't have known this. I know you might say, well, wait a minute, we can read the Old Testament. We could see Israel succeeding, such and such, right? Well, yeah, but the insertion of this age, which was a mystery. Nobody knew this age was going to be here. So the insertion of this age... Right, now we need some explanation. We, now we need God to say, okay, wait a minute. Things are not going according to plan. Like what we talked about in prophecy in the Old Testament. Things are not going according to that. So now you've inserted this new age. How is it going to work? How is it all going to work out? Oh, well, the church age now, is the church going to succeed Israel? Is, is, does the church become Israel? What is this whole thing? God... Romans 11 has been a blessing to us, satisfying our understanding, and not only satisfying it, but in detail, describing all of this so that we can know and be, be clear on what God has, uh, what expectations not only does he have of us, but what does you know, he have of Israel. And all of that is important as we go forward in the text. So, And in this way is important because we needed to know what happens after the church leaves and how Israel is now installed as a nation again. That's important information to know. Because when you read the, the Re Revelation and look at the tribulation, you're going to find a lot of symbols and things that are happening very similarly like what we had already seen in the Old Testament. So, yeah, God's going to pick back up and he's going to tell us how it all works. Point B, so in our notes, no need for speculation here. God shows the organized way Israel will come back into power as a nation before God. And, you know, uh, that's a big event, right? God taking out Israel. They're, they're asleep now in discipline while the church age is moving forward and God is fulfilling his purpose, the eternal purpose of the Father. So all of that is happening now while Israel is just basically sleeping. And um, one thing to note is, for us, it might seem like, oh, so God is operating through, you know, 
cause and you know action and whatever was the cause and so forth but he's really not all of this was planned he, he's organized enough to know what was going to happen and it just shows the organization of God how how he's put Israel to sleep and it was appropriate God didn't just say Israel go to sleep it was appropriate for Israel to go to sleep because not only had they been um, disciplined in their history, but they have come to a point in time where it was a culmination of their stubbornness and their resistance of the Holy Spirit and where they rejected their Messiah to his face. He came to his own and his own did not receive him. The nation of Israel rejected their Messiah. So it was an appropriate discipline for them. It wasn't just say, okay, we're going to, now is the time for me to do the church, so you just wait over here. No, no, no. God, it all worked out according to um, the providence of God and how he organized his plan. Let's keep moving. We got a few notes to get to here. Point C. Once, in, once the church age is over, God will turn to Israel. That's what this is saying. And in this way, right, that's, that's what he's saying. He will turn to Israel. And what do we have? Where's the scripture? Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of the Gentiles has come in. Right, there it is. There, we're talking transition here. And some people will say, well, is there a difference between Israel and the church? Absolutely. Absolutely. We talked about why they called why Paul used the term Gentiles last week, which I did think about. Uh, but here we're seeing that there is a transition period. Well, first, Pentecost was a transition. Nobody expected that to come. That was not in the theology of the disciples at all. So this is why I say we need to give them some leeway here. If somebody comes along and tells you something that's not in your theology, you're going to automatically reject it. And that's what the disciples did at first. But they came to believe. And now we're seeing it all unfold. So, until the full number of Gentiles has come in. Now, that, full, that word that's translated full number is the word pleroma. So, we have heard this Greek word before. We have had it. Pleroma is the word, and I'll just give you Strong's definition, repletion, completion, that is uh, what fills, uh, you know, as content, supplement, copiousness, multitude, or ob objectiv ob objectively what is filled as a container, performance, or period. These are all ways uh, filled up, fulfilling, full, fullness. So what it comes to mean, depending on the context, right? Obviously, the word may be used in different contexts. And so, yeah, it could be used in all those different ways. But the thought here, in this context, is that uh, when the church reaches this place, what, what the, we say full number, but actually, it's not the word for number. It's the word pleroma. And the definition that, the working definition that we came up with as we studied this word was the filling up of a deficiency. So imagine a cup, right? And a cup is half full. 
and you say, well, th that cup needs to be filled up, right? A full cup is, is what the desire is. So what do you, you have to pour the same in, uh, liquid in to fill the cup up, right? That's, and once the cup is full, we call that pleroma, right? To be filled up. Filled up what? There's, there's not filled. Like here's a good example of it in uh, Colossians of the Word, um, chapter 1. Class, Colossians 1, Paul says this. He says, uh, I have become, this is verse 25, I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its, and, and the word there is fullness. That's the same word, pleroma. So what is that to say? That is to say that whatever we had in the Old Testament it was, was not all that God intended to tell us. But now Paul is saying, he's trying to give us the fullness or the completeness as it, as it relates to the Word of God here. The fullness here is related to the Word of God. So what they had in the Old Testament was oh, obviously Old Testament, the law, Moses, all that. And, but now we have what the fullness is, the completed, and that is the mystery. That's what verse 26 says, that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but it is now disclosed to the Lord's people. So this new information augments the older information that was given to complete the revelation of God to man. So now we have it all. We have the fullness, all of it. Is there, should we expect there's going to be more information coming down the pike? Is there going to be another mystery that's unveiled and we haven't, you know, that's hidden from us? No. Because this word, using this word, tells us that this is the will of God, the completed will of God for us. There is not going to be any more revelation in terms of uh, God now has some other plan or eternal purpose. Uh, in mind, so now he just hadn't revealed it yet, and now he has. No, it's all done. All the information that God needs to tell us is already on the table. So that's that word, fullness. And that is translated here, interestingly, in uh, Romans 11, full number of the Gentiles has come in. It's more of what I wanted to talk about uh, last week. A couple of weeks ago, I know we didn't have study last week, but there's that word, pleroma. So point E, the church has a full number or fullness, right? And those are the two verses, and they both are uh, talking about the church. In Ephesians 1.23, we have the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. That's Ephesians 1.23, and obviously our verse in 11, Romans 11.25. Once that happens, once God reaches this place of fullness or completeness, where he's satisfied that the church accomplishes what his goal was, then he will say, okay, it's, my goal is, sa I'm satisfied, and I'm going to now pull the church. I'm going to pull it out. So that's the thought. The church will reach 
fullness. Interesting that they translate that full number. Yeah. And we talked about number, I remember. I don't know whether it was a few weeks ago. or One of the Q&A sessions we had, we talked about, is it a number? And I thought, I think it's, an, I think it's a number. But, it, I mean, if, if, it's a, if we look at Israel as a good example, Israel, to become a nation again, which they're not a nation before God now. Yeah, there's some people over there in, in, in Israel and Jerusalem and all those, uh, you know, the land of Israel. But those are not the people, that government is not under God. Uh, so, but there will be people under God. And if you read Revelation chapter 7, I think we're coming to that. 7,000, or not 7,000, 12,000 from this tribe, 12,000 from that tribe, and on and on. Yeah, Israel will be a nation. And it is based on numbers, right? God is saying those numbers reflect the completed nation of Israel before him. And these are believers. These are not people who, you know, just have the genes of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. These are people who are under the new covenant. So we'll talk more about that as we get to it. That's point one, and we're going to move on to point two. So, and in this way, all Israel will be saved. So this is how it works. That, that phrase, and in this way, helps us, to trans, helps us with this transition of how Israel will get to the place where they're installed again. Obviously, God is telling us that the church will have to be, God's plan for the church will have to be complete. Or the word fullness will have to happen for the church. God's going to remove the church and then all Israel will be saved. Let's talk about that. All Israel. What does that mean? Here, Paul is speaking of the nation Israel, just as he was speaking of the nation in verses 7 through 9. Let's go back to Romans 11. And look at verses 7 through 9. So just so you know, what then? What the people of Israel sought earnestly, they did not obtain. The elect among them did. But the others were hardened. So so we know there's two things when we talk about Israel. There is the nation Israel, which has a responsibility, a covenant responsibility before God, for this world. And then... There are also individual Jews, and these Jews, um, some believe, some don't. Right? It's now, of course, the nation Israel, the leadership of Israel, those who rule this people, says Isaiah twenty-eight, rejected the, their Messiah, and God leveled discipline upon them. Right, so he says the others were hardened. As it is written, God gave them a, a spirit of stupor, eyes that could not see and ears that could not hear to this very day. And David says, may their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution to them. So that that is literally, and then verses 23 and 24, look at this. So it says, and if they do not persist in unbelief, they will be grafted in again. And look at this last phrase, and for God is able to graft them in again. After all, if you are cut out of an olive tree that is wild by nature and contrary to the nature, to nature, were grafted into a cultivated olive tree, how much more readily will these, the natural branches, 
be grafted into their own olive tree. No, God is saying, I'm going to restore the nation Israel. He's saying in these two verses that he will restore. It's a natural thing. Don't look at it as odd that I'm going to restore Israel back to the purpose that I foreknew, predestined them to have. Yes, they will succeed. We, we already talked about that in the opening. So in these verses, that's what he's saying. And all Israel will be saved. God already saw this. This is not something odd or strange. He saw this already, and it will come to pass. So point B, saved. What, what do we mean by saved? All Israel will be saved. What does he mean? Obviously, we are speaking uh, of Israel as a nation right, before God. That's what he's talking about. He's not talking about individual Jews. Because individual Jews have been saved throughout the church age from the very beginning. right? <laughs> and we know he's talking about um, Israel, who uh, is the nation, because we look at John 1.11 where it says he came to his own and his own did not receive him. So who is under discipline? Who's given the spirit of, of slumber? The nation Israel. We, we couldn't possibly say that all Jews are lost and needing a salvation. We couldn't possibly say that because the church was made up of Jews in the very beginning. All the disciples were Jewish. And uh, so we, who became apostles for the church. So even there's no, in the church, there's no Jew or Gentile, right? So, but God does take from Jews and Gentiles to make the one new man, as we read in uh, Ephesians 2. So the building materials for the church are Jews and Gentiles. So we, we can't say all Israel, you know, and or you could go to Romans 10, the chapter we just left, right? Romans 10, uh, 1, brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God is for, for the Israelites is that they may be saved. Well, obviously, if they need salvation, they're lost. That's clear. What was their problem? For I can testify about them. They are zealous for God. Man, they're running in place when it comes to God. But their zeal is not based on knowledge. Oh, that's bad. Because we know what happened. Well, he tells us. I don't have to even comment on it. Since they did not know the righteousness of God and, and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Wow. So this is the imputed righteousness, which we receive by faith. Not righteousness that comes from the law or law keeping or obedience. Righteousness that comes by faith. So the Jews refused that. It was, it was a problem for them because they were keeping the law and thinking that God was respecting uh, their, uh, their efforts. And he was not. So it's like he says in Romans 3, are we any better? No, not at all. God has already made the charge. Jews and Gentiles alike are under sin. So Jews needed to be saved. So do Gentiles. They need to be saved. Now, how do you get saved? It's not by the works of the law. That's for sure. And the Jews, that was what I've been calling the big lie. And that's just a, a, a play on words here because a lot of Jews believed that keeping the law was their salvation. And it 
had gotten to, and that's why Paul says in, in Colossians, or no, it's Philippians, where he says that he might be found in him, not having a righteousness of his own, which comes through the law, but righteousness which is by faith. So we understand this is the big lie. So just think about it. There were those in Israel who thought that they could be saved by keeping the law. Imagine that. And guess what we are finding today? Many in the church are walking in those footsteps of Israel. So, so this is what's important here. All Israel will be saved. Yes, they're going to get saved. That's going to be a glorious thing to think about. Israel is going to turn this corner. God's going to save Israel. I've had questions. I remember people would say, well, all Israel is going to be saved. God's just going to wave his hand and all Israel is just going to be saved. That's it. That's it. Israel just going to all of a sudden one day wake up and God saves them? No, that's not it. Not it at all. We're going to read more as we get to the next phrase, hopefully. So, saved. <clears throat> we're speaking about the national Israel here. For Israel to be saved, it will mean that they're going to be a nation before God again. The church is gone now, right? That's what we already talked about. They have reached the fullness of God, and that God took them. And now, uh, he's dealing with national Israel. And they're going to be saved. What he says, all Israel will be saved. They're not now, but they will be. So... Uh, and as I made the point, they've been throughout the church age. Point C, apparently God does not deal with Israel and the church at the same time. And you know the verse in 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17. Where it's, well, I, why don't I read it? I know, I know we know it. This is especially one that's used at funerals a lot. 16 and 17, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Notice the dead in Christ. After that, we who are still alive and left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. So, a lot of people say, oh, there is no such thing as a rapture. It was invented. No, it was here. It's right here. If you want to look at the rapture, just go here, right here. Four, 16, even, I don't want you, go to 13. I don't want you to be ignorant about or, or uninformed about those who fall asleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. We have a hope. God's going to come. He's going to take us, catch us out of this world. And that, and after that happen, happens, all Israel will be saved. Let's keep going. Point D. How will this happen? Right? That's a, the next question. How will this happen? Now, the, I'm just going to say we do not have the exact means, uh, but my thoughts are found in Revelation. <clears throat> if I go to Revelation chapter 7, and I, I don't know if we're going to have enough time. Yeah, we, we'll just go to a couple of verses here. Revelation 7 deals with the co conversion of national Israel. Look at this. After this, I saw, this is 7-1, by the way. I saw the 
four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth to prevent the wind from blowing on the land or the sea or on any tree. And I saw another angel coming up from the east, having the seal of the living God. He called out in a loud voice and uh, to the four angels who had been given power to harm the land and the sea. This is a tribulation, which is a rough time to be in. We're already caught up. So do not harm the land or the sea or the trees until we put a seal on the foreheads of the servants of our God. And then he goes into this, and I saw the number. I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 from all the tribes of Israel. And he goes through all these tribes, 12,000 from each tribe. Once that happens, God is telling us by this that these servants of God comprise the nation Israel is back on the earth and they are going to be doing their job. And also, <clears throat> if you look at Revelation, and we, there's more to probably, we could possibly read. And then Revelation 11, and this is um, Revelation 11, is also descriptive, I think, of this time. Where it says in 11.1, I was given a reed like a measuring rod and was told, go measure the temple of God and the altar with its worshipers. But exclude the outer court. Do not measure it because it has been given to the Gentiles. They will trample on the holy city for 42 months. So we're in the tribulation here. And, and we are seeing how these two witnesses right, are going to come into play. And uh, like I said, it doesn't tell us. It's the very descriptive, uh, symbolic language giving us information, I believe, on how... Israel will be stimulated back to life. And uh, so one of the things to know about this is how it will happen, is that um, point E, while we cannot say with certainty how this will happen, we should know that it will be accompanied by signs, wonders, and miracles. So how does God work? We already know everything God does he does it to let people know this is the direction I'm going in and I'm going to use signs, wonders, and miracles to show people so that there's no question about what God's will is in the earth. What direction is he going? So, for instance, he established the church. He did it by the accompanying signs, wonders, and miracles. Christ came. He used the Messiah. What did he do? Signs, wonders, and miracles. God established Israel as a nation. How did he do it? The plagues, the signs, the wonders, the miracles. Elijah, all the different things that he did. Signs, wonders, and miracles. That's God's calling card. That's what we are to expect. Now, we, we don't think God is doing all these signs, wonders, and miracles all the time. Because if, if that would be confusing, right? What will, how do we know? How would he establish his word? Right. He, he does this to let people give attention so that people will know. Just like Nicodemus said, we know that you are from God because nobody can do the signs, the wonders, the miracles you are doing. The works, he didn't say that. He said the works you are doing, except God is with it. Now, all I, I don't have to say, John says, if, if we could... 
there wouldn't be enough books in the world to contain all the miracle signs and wonders that Jesus did when he was here. He showed himself to be the Messiah. I mean, there is no equivocation, no question. Every day, Mark is a good example. People came to him. He emptied the hospitals. He emptied the emergency room. People were coming, bringing all these sick people to him. And it, Mark says, he healed them all. I can appreciate that. And, and I walk away saying, that man is the Messiah. That is the Christ, the one who has prophesied for hundreds and hundreds of years past. This is him showing up on the scene, for sure. Even Nicodemus was saying that, who is an unbeliever, was saying that. This is what he knows. He said, we know. So this is important. Whatever happens, we, how Israel is installed again, we know that it will be accompanied by signs, wonders, and miracles. Because every time God moves, that's what he does. So, so look at this. If you look in Revelation, you see all these, uh, you know, there are two olive trees and the two lampstands. They stand before the Lord on the earth. I'm back in Revelation 11. If anyone tries to harm them, fire comes from their mouths and devours the enemies. This is how anyone who wants to harm them must die. They have power to shut up the heavens so that it will not rain. That sounds like Elijah. And uh, the time they are prophesying and they have power to turn the waters into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they want. What is that? Signs, wonders, and miracles. God is demonstrating something in the world and he is establishing his nation before people. Letting people know that yes, Israel is on the scene and he establishes, installs, and now Israel's back in play. We're keeping, all right, we got a few minutes. We're going to finish this. We're going to finish this point three. As it is written, <clears throat> the deliverer will come from Zion. He will turn godlessness away from Jacob. Let's talk about, it's only four points. We're almost done. As it is written, Paul likely, he's likely quoting from Isaiah 59, 20 through 21. Let's review it. Isaiah 59, 20 through 21. Let's quickly look at this just so we can see it in, in its original, where Paul got it from, uh, 20 through 20 and 21, okay? So it says, the Redeemer will come to Zion, to those in Jacob who repent of their sins, declares the Lord. I like how here it says, repent of their sins, and the other one says, turn godlessness away from Jacob. So it's same thing. And then he goes on in verse 21. As for me, this is my covenant with them, says the Lord. My spirit who is on you will not depart from you. And my words that I have put in your mouth will always be on your lips. On your lips, on the lips of your children and on the lips of their descendants from this time on and forever, says the Lord. So, so in this, we have uh, Paul quoting to talk about when the covenant is going to come. That's in the next verse. This is my covenant with them when I turn godlessness away from Jacob. Right? 
But this verse right here is to say that no, Israel will not come to uh, salvation just by God waving his hand. It will ha Israel will have to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. They will have to f do the very thing that when Christ came to them as the Messiah and they rejected him, they will have to re receive him. So that is so. That is not something that will happen regardless of their uh, status, whether or not they believe in Christ. Point B, as a reminder... The story of Jacob here is interesting. If you know about the story of Jacob, I, I'm listing it here. You should read it. At least, at least take a look at those verses, 24 through 28 in Genesis 32. And it helps us understand how Jacob... Well, let's look at it. Hold on. I, I think it's important. Genesis 32. We don't want to skip too, too much. Um, 32, 24 through 28. Let's read it. So this is, there's a phrase in here I want to make sure we see. So Jacob was left alone, verse 24, and a man wrestled with him till day, daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go until you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel. And here's the phrase, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. So notice Israel is in the world. When you think about who the church is, we're not of this world. But Israel is of this world. They are a nation among nations. And they're going to have struggles in this world. The other nations. And, and obviously, what we've been looking at here in the tribulation, all the nations of the world will turn against Israel in the tribulation. So they're in this world. But they will prevail. They, they struggle. And... To talk about turning godlessness away from Jacob is very typical of the fact that how Jacob became Israel in the first place. He prevailed with God and man. So what you're going to have here is Israel's going to grapple with this same thing and they're going to become believers, a believing nation, not just believers, but a believing nation in this world again. Point C, Jacob will have to become Israel in the tribulation. Israel will be under the new covenant. So when I say that that's a major difference, Israel was not under the new covenant in the Old Testament. And even though the new covenant is available now for individual Jews who believe, as a nation, Israel is not under the new covenant. They will be in the tribulation. Because just like we read, and all Israel will be saved, and as we're going to read in the next verse, and this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. So, point D, this is our last thought here. Revelation twelve seventeen. Let me. we've already quoted that a lot of times. It talks about the devil in the tribulations, angry with the woman, and went to make war with the, her offspring, those who keep the commandments of God, they are under the law as a way of life. 
and have the testimony of Jesus, and they believe in Jesus Christ. They're under new covenant principles. Point D, interesting. When the mystery is over, the prophecy clock begins to tick again. That's interesting, because right now, prophecy clock is not ticking at all. We're not in an age where we're waiting for some prophecies to be fulfilled. The only thing that's going to happen next is Christ is going to come. And just like we read in 1 Thessalonians 4, that he will come with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God. Dead in Christ will rise and we'll be caught up together to meet him in the air. That catching away is what we are calling the rapture. And so after that happens, what does God do? He turns to focus on national Israel. Things happen, signs, wonders, miracles. And there's other things happening too, because remember, the beast, the Antichrist, is going to be revealed as well. He, the devil's working on his man to get him in play. And God is working on the nation Israel. So it is a time of trouble, a time of time of turmoil, of horror, and uh, that, as Jesus says, there wouldn't be a, a, a time such as this as since there was a nation. It's going to be horrendous. Uh, what will happen in the tribulation period? So the prophecy clock begins, as you've been seeing, like. Seven years is going to be 42 months. There's going to be a midpoint in the tribulation, and then there's going to be more. uh, Three and a half years, three and a half years in the tribulation. So the prophecy clock continues. Uh, Also, what is that Daniel's 70th week? That 70th week. Where's the church? Church is between the 69th and the 70th week. That's where the church was inserted. Now, it will continue. Prophecy clock will continue begin to tick again. Okay, so we're, we're going to pause at this point. Uh, I know uh, we, we did want to really stop a few minutes earlier. We want to make sure we have some time for some Q&A. So we are going to pause now and the floor is open. What's on your mind? Yeah, one of the things on my mind is... Um before we left off in that last phrase, um, and you talked about it a couple of times where the prophecy clock begins to tick again after the church age. Um, when is the first prophecy to be fulfilled um, after the prophecy clock begins to tick again? Well, the first prophecy to be fulfilled, let's just say, <clears throat> is Daniel's 70th week. Right, so if you look at um, Daniel and you go back and you see where it says 70 weeks are determined upon your people to, and he gives you all these conditions of things that will happen in the 70 weeks. He's talking about Israel. Well, then if you, from that time on, from the, I think when uh, he says uh, from the rebuilding of the temple to Messiah will be, he gave a series of weeks, though, how much that would be, and so forth, and even to the time when Jesus came. So all of that information was prophesied. God gave it, the prophecy clock was ticking. And so it ticked all the way until we got to Pentecost, where the prophecy clock stopped, where God sent 
the ministry of the Spirit for this new age to fulfill God's eternal purpose. <clears throat> so, after that's finished, the very next thing that happens when I talk about the clock ticking again is that 70th week of Daniel. Now, of course, if we were looking at, looking at that 70th week, there's a lot of things that happen that were prophesied from Ezekiel and Isaiah and Daniel and, and, and Hosea and all these. That time period, that seven-year time period, is heavily talked about in the Old Testament as well as in Revelation. So that prophecy clock begins to tick a lot of the prophecies of things that were to happen during this time begin to unfold just like God said they would. Now, of course, like I said, we won't be here. And some of the things that happen, we can't say, okay, this is exactly um, like we thought, right? Even if you look at how Christ came, which was in a period that we can look back and see, I wouldn't say that everybody would have imagined, and there were lots of prophecies of Christ coming, right? And I'm told there was over 700 or so prophecies of Christ coming, you know, not just coming, but what he would do, some, some you know, some of the characteristics of him. But um, I still think with all of that, uh, we had to watch it unfold for it, for us to really know how God was going to do it. I don't think... This is why I wrote uh, in the opening, what is it about the Bible that keeps us coming back for more? It's like God tells us what is going to happen, and it happens. We watch it unfold. Uh, to me, that's amazing to see God fulfill his purpose, and you know, especially when it comes to prophecy, because God already saw it. It's not like he's hoping for it to happen. He already saw it happen, and he's just telling us about it in advance. Some of the ways he's telling us is through symbols and prophecy and visions and so forth. So uh, whether we understood fully what all of that meant, or do we understand that God's doing doing a work, right? So I think our focus, and, and some of it, let me just say this, and I'm going to pause and let you respond. Some of the information in the tribulation, is for those people who are on the ground. So it wouldn't make sense to us, a lot of it. I wouldn't say it, I wouldn't say it doesn't make sense. It makes sense, but it will make more sense to them uh, because it, they are grappling with the very things uh, and rigors that are in the tribulation, right? Well, these things are literally happening to them. And the, those scriptures that deal with the tribulation will be a godsend to them. It will be direction and wisdom for them, how they should proceed and, and you know conduct themselves in this space. We won't have to do that. And so, yeah, we're looking at it and saying, yeah, this is going to happen. That's going to happen. They're going to be in it, and these things are going to be unfolding, and they're going to be able to use this information uh, on the ground. So I'll pause. Okay, I think I get it. Thank you. Thank you for the thought. Others out there, other questions, thoughts, ideas, opinions? 
I'll take my time because I know people are forming thoughts. All right, well, I had uh, another simpler question. Um, it, I guess it's not real deep. It's not a real deep question. Well, it doesn't have um, to be. In the, in the NIV, Pleroma is um, translated full number. And in the ESB and King James, it's the fullness, which seems to follow more closely with the Greek definition. Um, why do you suppose it was translated as number in NIV? <laughs> yeah, I said that was quite interesting, didn't I? Because I saw the same thing you saw. Um, and it's interesting that it's really just a matter of translation. So the word for number is not there. Okay, so just remove that from your mind. The word for number is not there. But I well, that I know, but, but what I find interesting is that Pleroma is not translated as no full number in other places where it's used. Yeah, it's just fullness. So it's used as, it's translated as fullness, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I'm saying that the NIV, remember, translations are not, you know, that's just how somebody or group of people chose to render a word right? that this is the, they have other choices you saw all those definitions i gave uh, according to the context what is being spoken about but <clears throat> so let's look at number this is what i think about it there's i can understand why they did number as opposed to the, you know going to uh, more understanding of uh, fullness because I think fullness and number kind of talk about the same thing. Here's why. Number represents that the church age has a, a full number. There is, it, there, is a, there is a number. So at some point, there is a finite number of people who will be in the church age. It is not like an unlimited number. It is not. It is a finite number. We could actually, if we were looking back, we could know what that number is. But we're looking forward, so we don't know. There is a number, literally, of people that will be in the church. Now, it's not just to say, oh, we're waiting until we get to this number. You know what it is? It's full, Pleroma doesn't speak so much of number, it speaks more of the satisfaction of God. It is saying that what God's idea for the church is will be satisfied. When it gets to the place that it is satisfied, then human history will proceed. And so I think it has to do with there is a number that will satisfy. God will say, yep, the church is complete at this point. But I I think it's more along the lines of the satisfaction definition of the word than the number. Even though I think number has to do with has something to do with it, but that number is what satisfies God. So we could see how they both come together. That number satisfies the eternal purpose of God. 
God is saying, when I'm satisfied, when I got to church, when I got what I was after from eternity past before time began, I'll be satisfied. That's what he's saying. Now, the other passage speaks that we are the fullness of Christ. Now, that's a little different, isn't it? It's still talking about the satisfaction of the Father's plan for Christ. So a lot of people might say, well, oh, well, who's Christ? Well, you know, he came and he uh, accomplished a salvation plan. He paid for the sins of the world. And we could talk about he, 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 his, the righteousness that he earned before the Father and now is being uh, used to represent mankind. And so, you know, if they believe in him, they receive his rights. All of the salvation work was performed by Christ. But that's not all. God planned for Christ. There was more that he planned for Christ. And we're talking about before God created all things. And the more that he planned for Christ is that uh, the church would be part of who he is. This new creation. If anybody is in Christ, they are a new creation. So that new creation is the pleroma of Christ, according to Ephesians 1.23. So we fulfill who he is. And how could, how could we say we fulfill who he is? That sounds a little off the wall. But really, that's what it says. We fill him in every way, in all things, right? So let, let me just go to that verse, Ephesians 1.23. So it says... And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be, uh, this is 22, appointed him to be head over everything for the church. And now he explains what the church is, which is his body. And there it is, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. So <clears throat> this fullness is a little different. It doesn't talk about, well, once the church... The church age is over, then Israel will be installed, right? No, this is talking about the eternal purpose of the Father and how we were the hidden part that was not revealed. Even though people knew about Christ was going to come, pay for the sins and his righteousness and so forth, all that was, that was known in the Old Testament. This wasn't. This was the eternal purpose of the Father. So with, without us, God the Father is not going to be satisfied with what he planned for Christ before time began. He's not going to, So we have to be a part of, we are a part of who he is. And why I say that is not because I'm trying to push ourselves forward. I'm saying that because that's what the Father wanted. That's what the Father planned. That is what is being executed in time, even as we speak. So from that point of view the word is used in a different way and it is sort of a different context as well i will pause dwight what do you think yeah i like the esv translation here <laughs> you like oh okay um, <laughs> you like the esv yeah no I, I yeah i like the use of the word fullness um because there is a place, like in Romans 9.27, I believe it is, um, Paul does use a rhythmo, not pleroma, or the word number. 
Mm-hmm. Um, when you talk about the number of sons of Israel shall be as, as the sand of the sea. Yes. And only a remnant of them will be saved. Um, so to me, if, if Paul meant number like that, um, the number that satisfies God, why not use arithmetic? Um, but I, I think the, the emphasis is, is slightly different with, when you talk about the fullness. Um, it, it, fullness to me is synonymous with completeness, whereas um, you know a, a number like the number of the sons of uh, Israel will be at the sand of the sea. God knows that number, but for us it's unimaginable. Yeah. And so I don't know if the same concept applies to the number of Gentiles to come in. Yeah, I, I think. Um... Is three different contexts already that you you point. The the harmony is still there. I I get your point that the harmony about the satisfaction of God towards his plan is still there. There's there's no weakness in, you know, that's in that. um, I I guess I'm just picking on semantics here. No, I'm, um, I, I'm, I'm. You're picking on the NIV. Yeah. You're picking on the NIV because the Bible yeah. says fullness, right? So that's why I said I probably would prefer to say fullness as well. I, I'm with you. I'm not. I'm. I don't have a problem. I just am saying I can understand how they wrote or why they might have translated it number. Although I would prefer they would have used fullness. That's why I said it was a bit strange. But just remember also that the word um, pleroma is used in different contexts, right? And every time it's used, how it's used, and it even might say fullness, the same thing, but it is not always talking about the same thing. So we can look at the other side of it too. So the one in Colossians, right, that I pointed out, the fullness there was representing the argument of truth that was going to add to what God had already given us. This new information that was hidden is now available. So it refers to the information that's in our age. And what is he calling it? The mystery, right? So, so that's an, that fullness is used to fill up the deficiency where... Well, it wasn't necessarily a deficiency because God was hiding. He was hiding this information from the world and Israel. So, but then he he completes it and he calls that the fullness. And then the, the Colossians, I'm sorry, the Ephesians passage, it, it deals with what we just covered, uh, the fullness of the person of Christ. So who God's idea of what Christ would be. We are his fullness, right? And there's glory associated with that as well. And then in this verse, is talking about a trans... In, in Romans 11, it's talking about transition from the church to Israel, right? So, well, how, when will it happen? It will happen this way. The fullness of the Gentiles will come in to the church and all of that will be done. And then God will transition to Israel. So, yeah, I, I see your point. It would have been probably easier to translate it, let it be consistent, in my opinion. And other translators have done that. They have translated it, uh, fullness. Um, so I think it's, I have seen where the NIV has translated 
some things, and which is why it's good to have the Greek and be able to look behind the scenes of what the word actually was. So um, that's that's yeah that's where we want to be. Yeah, I think another example of where we see a translation that I might prefer an alternative to um, an idea is in First John two two. Uh, first John two two. Okay, in, in <laughs> the atonement. I like the word propitiation. Yeah, let's look at this. Um, first John two two. Yeah, I, this is one. This is I would say. Uh, this is atonement is probably more literal. Yeah. But I would have rather say so propitiation. People may not know what that word means, right? uh, and it could be that they were trying to simplify it. But you're right. I would have preferred propitiation. The word propitiation is different from the word atone, atonement. That's two different words. Now somebody might say atoning sacrifice is the same as propitiation, right? But the word atonement as used in the Old Testament, meant a covering. It wasn't necessarily a removal and satisfaction of God, because we know that the blood of bulls and goats could never satisfy God. That was only put in place for a time. So the atonement was looked at as a covering of sin. Uh, you know, God's going to be satisfied for the time being. But the difference in Christ is that he literally did die for the sins. Like, the sins are no longer on the table anymore. That's it. They're not covered. They're not on the table and covered. It's, that's it. They're off the table. And God the Father is satisfied with the work of Christ on our behalf. So, I like the word propitiation, which talks about the satisfaction of the justice of God better than atoning sacrifice. And I think your, the ESV does use it. Well, let me see. Yeah, ESV. <laughs> well, that would yeah, be. It, is, yeah. it uses the word propitiation. What about Romans 3.25 and 3.26? Let's see what it uses there. Uh, because. It uses fulfilled. No, propitiation is there. Yeah. Whom God put. Oh, what do you mean? Uh, Romans. 3.25 and. Uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and and what's interesting is propitiation is is also another King James. Yeah, yeah, it is. So I think it's a matter of them trying to simplify it, which again, it is better to give me the literal. Um, you know, we can we can work it out. Even whether I, I like the NIV in some places. And it has weaknesses in others. So, um, mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. the fact that we have uh, eSword and we're able to look easily look behind the scenes, and hopefully everybody on the call knows how to do this. I think if you don't, please let me know. We can, we can certainly discuss how, how to do it. If you don't have eSword, I suggest you get it. <laughs> what, what? Why wouldn't you have eSword? Oh, never mind. This is not me plugging eSword, <laughs> but but uh, man, I don't just don't understand why you would wouldn't have it. In, in any case, um, yeah. I, to your point, I, I'd have to say uh, ESV has done a better job rendering uh, 
uh, hilasmas, I think the word is the, in the Greek, yeah. Done a good job. Okay. Other thoughts out there before we close? I know we're, the time is moving forward. I'll pause. All right, well, sounds quiet. Sounds quiet. So, somebody, I just want to make sure we don't cut anybody off. Uh, I said helasmos. It's helasterion is the Greek word. Helasterion. Yeah. I could be phonetically saying things wrong, but anyway, it's there in the Greek. Don't get me to trying to pronounce all the words like I'm perfect or something. I'm not. Okay. We're going to have to end. We'll close. Uh, and next week we'll continue uh, this in verse 27 of Romans chapter 11. Interesting verses ahead of us, so... Right, let's bow our heads as we close. Thank you, Father, for this time we've had this evening. We're so grateful for those who have come and shared their time, their humility with us. And we pray, Father, for all uh, the Word is Truth family out there. Pray, pray for Word of Truth out there as well. Father, we pray for all those people who don't know the Lord Jesus Christ and are not saved. Pray for salvation. For those and give us opportunities that we might be able to witness your goodness your grace your kindness to them and your provision also father we as we close we pray that you will continue to keep our focus not only uh, where we are on sundays but also so that we can come to as we leave these chapters that the meaning and the understanding of these chapter chapters do not leave us so all of this we ask in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. 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 Amen.